welcome to Legacy Podcast. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy this message. I talk about, I, 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 I titled it, I'm in a fight, but I don't want you to think that I'm personally physically fighting, uh, nor do I want you to feel like that we're frazzled. It's not it, but it's really about territory. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got some territory. Now, you're going to have to hang with me this morning so I can get through a little bit of my setup to get to the point that I really would have bring to you towards the end of the service today. But um, it's really about territory. That's where my heart and mind is today. And whenever the Lord gives us a word and whenever that word says that I've been holding back a harvest for such a time as this, if you will, and then it is time for you to pray with authority and I'm going to give the harvest. Now, that's just not for legacy. That is for anyone who will take authority and pray with authority. God will release that harvest to them. But then becomes the responsibility of taking care of the harvest. I believe that there is a time such as now that spirit-filled people are praying like never before. And it's time for us to see the harvest that God's promised us. So I hope you believe that this morning. But I want to share with you this morning out of the book of Luke chapter number 8. You can go all the way back to verse number 26 if you'd like. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 33 this morning. And I'm going to read through verse number 39. But if you want to go back to verse number 30, excuse me, 26, you'll begin to realize a very familiar um, text, if you will, about the demoniac that was in the Gadarenes. And we, many of us, if you're a student of the, of the Scripture, you know that, that there was a, a demon-possessed man, that he, he lived in the tombs, in the Gadarenes, as Scripture calls it. And there he was cast and exiled into that place of the tombs there in Gadara. <clears throat> The Bible teaches us that men could not harness him. They would chain him. He would literally break chains because of all of the demonic presence that this man had in him, living in him. And so we find there that this man lived in the tombs, cutting himself, literally hollering out and, and, and doing whatever demon-possessed people do. And then we find in Luke chapter number 8 and verse number 33 where I pick up the story this morning in reading of your hearing, and it says this, Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into a lake, and they drowned. When those who fed them saw, in other words, the herdsmen, and whenever those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and, and they came to Jesus and found the man, ooh, the demoniac. They found the demoniac from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they also had seen it told them, seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and he returned. Verse 38, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. What I'm talking about this morning is we are in a fight for territory. Paul said in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse number 27, quote, it says, nor give place to the devil. What he was saying in this verse is, is that you'll have a tendency to relax. And if you don't watch yourself, you'll give place to things that you wouldn't even a year ago, a month ago, given place to in your life. 
because the devil is slick, if I may. He's cunning. And he'll try to trick you and he'll try to take over things in your life that you wouldn't have, of a year, a month ago, you, that you would have let go of. But because of relax and ease and blessing that we now possibly are giving place to the things of the enemy of our life. Paul said, be careful not to give place to the enemy. Don't give your territory to the devil. You have territory that you must take ownership of. You must take ownership of the things that God has given you. Do you know what you own? Do you know what is yours? I've realized over the years, even prior to Christianity in my life, and I became a Christian relatively young. I mean, I say that, but it seems not young to some. I, I went to church as a child with my mother and father and got away from God, did my thing, and did my crazy have fun stuff, and, and then got married and had our oldest and, and then found myself in a place that I really didn't care if I was married or not anymore. And, but I, after uh, dealing with my wife there for a few weeks and finally coming to myself, I realized that I certainly did not want what I thought I wanted, which would have been a divorce or separation or whatever. And I came to Christ. What I didn't know at the time was is that my wife was praying, and she's told me many times, and maybe you've heard her say it. She said, I knew that my marriage was in trouble, so I started praying for a Christian man. <laughs> and she said, but I had no clue that it was going to be you. I was ready to get rid of you to get a Christian man because you wasn't what I wanted for the rest of my life. But what she didn't know was is that God got a hold of my heart and made me what she was praying for. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful today for a praying wife. I'm thankful today for someone who loves you through your rough times and your experiences in life that, that aren't so easy sometimes to even talk about. But I want you to know today that the enemy would love to have your territory. And the enemy would love to have the things that God has already given you, but it's up to you to wake up and realize what you own and what is yours. I realized a long time ago that I'm not really a fighter. I'm more of a lover. My body size doesn't really lend me to be much of a fearful sight in the sight of a big man. You get that? I'm not real big. I'm 5'8 and 3 quarters. 160, 75 pounds. <laughs> and so if I'm going to wreak fear in someone, it's not going to be because of my physicality. So I resorted a long time ago to the fact is, is that I'm probably not much of a fighter. I'm more of a lover. But I've realized something over the years, and that is this. I, when I perceive something to be mine, and the term is perceived because if you don't perceive what is yours, you'll never fight for it because you don't know what is yours. 
Why fight for something that you really don't understand or you really don't know or whether it is yours or whether it's not yours? Why fight for something that I don't perceive to be mine? So perception is huge whenever it comes to what you're praying about, what you're praying for, what you know is yours and who you are in Christ. Perception becomes a very big thing for Christians. Who do you perceive you are in Christ? Who are you in God? Our perceptions. It really boils down to identity. Do you really understand who you are? Who are you in Christ? And what is your identity in Christ? And what has He called you to? What has He called you for? I've watched so many people over the years. I've watched them come to Christ. I mean, surrender everything they have to God. Find their life in Christ, get their life straightened out, get on the right road. I mean conquering things, conquering the devil, conquering uh, financial issues, conquering past thoughts, conquering past things that they had in their lives. I mean they are moving on with God. But given enough time, find themselves getting distracted. And in the distraction of life, find themselves going back to things that they used to do that they wouldn't have a year ago done, but because of the distractions in life, they've, they've now given up a little bit of who they are in their identity in Christ. For when you know who you are in Christ, you hang on to that with a bulldog grip, if I may. Because I promise you, God didn't tell you who you were to change it next year. You are who you are, and you've been called to be what God's called you to be, and you be the best you that you can be. Because God's called you to that. And don't you relent and don't you stop. Just because somebody else has a thought and somebody else has a, a new scheme and somebody else has a new way of doing something and, oh, I can get you rich quick if you'll do that. Don't you turn your head to that. Because God knows where you are and you be obedient to the things of God. God's got you right where He wants you to be. I want to suggest to you today that you got more stuff in your territory than you think you do. The devil wants your territory. I'm not talking about land and houses. I'm talking this morning about your effectiveness. I'm talking this morning about who you are. I'm talking about who, the, who are the people that you can reach. I'm talking about your influence. I'm talking this morning about your favor in Christ. You got some stuff. You just need to realize the stuff that you got. You need to be an owner of it. You need to begin to perceive what it is that you have. Are you possessing what is yours? I promise you, if you don't, the enemy will. I read many years ago a man, an author that I'll keep out at this moment, but if you'd like to know later, I'll be glad to share the book and the author with you. But the author wrote and he said these words. He said, many times we as are in our culture today in our generation, our ancestors, you listen to me because this is a good point, our ancestors paid a great price, fasted many days, prayed many hours, sacrificed great things to gain certain territory spiritually so that God could move freely. And he said, but then the next generation, if they don't watch, will come along. And they will not pray. And they will have the comfort and ease. And they will not seek God in a way that stretches them and stretches territory. And if we don't do that in our, certain, in our current culture and in our current generation, then the things, now you hear me, 
then the things in which that our ancestors paid a great price for, we will no longer inhabit simply because we haven't had the fight in us through prayer, through fasting, through seeking God, through our worship to maintain and to take more territory. And he said, in the end result, now you listen to me. He said, in the end result of that is, is that the enemy stands in the territory whereby your mama and dad stood and prayed faithfully. And he mocks us from a place that we have recently been a part of and had that territory for ourselves. And then he begins to condemn us. And then when he begins to condemn us, we no longer will, put per, will be in pursuit. We will maintain and we will set back in comfort and ease and not pursue the purpose of God, nor greater things in Christ. Oftentimes, I've noticed in my life, oftentimes when there's friction going on in my life, usually it's a fight for territory. Now you listen this morning. I hope you are. I've said that three times. I won't say it again. But oftentimes it's a fight for territory because whenever I get to pressing in, whenever I really get to praying and I really get the mind of God and when I start a good fast and I begin to fast, some of the greatest things that I've ever heard from God is whenever I've been fasting. I'm telling you guys, the last time that I went on an extended fast is whenever I really, I was literally three years ago and I'm 50 years old. Here it was at this place, a middle, uh, mid, midlife, finally beginning to realize some of the things that God's truly called me to be and preaching twice, if not more, a week. You say, well, preacher, my God, if anybody ought to know who they are, you ought to know who you are. Well, it's a little easier said than done sometimes because I realized a long time ago I'm on a journey. And in this journey, oftentimes, I don't realize certain things until I get to the certain place that I'm supposed to be to learn a certain thing. And then as you continue to move forward in your journey, God continues to feed and show you as you begin to expand your territory. But you'll never ultimately become who you ultimately are to be until you start pressing in and expanding your territory. And yes, there's going to be friction. And yes, there's going to be pushback. But it is to those today that will say, I will not give up my territory. I'm not going to get discouraged and give up my stuff. Yes, it's spiritual warfare, but we are overcomers through Christ, which has already overcome. I am not defeated in any way. I am an overcomer and a victor in every way. Nothing, say this with me, nothing just happens. Say that with me. Nothing just happens. Things are sent against us. It's a fight for territory. Now, I want to get to the guts of this. Jesus Christ was in Galilee. He had been there with his disciples. And there were some things in this, what seems to be such an elementary story that I honestly did not see. And as I began to cultivate this message, I really, this stuff started churning up in me. And I did not see these few small little, what I feel are small details, but really become a huge issue in the, in the context of the Scripture. Jesus was in Galilee. He hops on a boat with his disciples. He starts across the Sea of Galilee, and inevitably, what happens? A storm blows up. Well, the storm blows up. His disciple says, hey, he's in the bow, sleeping. Hey, Jesus, there's a storm out here. Don't you realize we're going to die? Jesus wakes up in my dramatic 
understanding and he opens one eye and says, peace be still. And then the, the disciples say things like, my God, this man even has power over the winds and the waves. The storm on the sea. They fight through the storm as Jesus calms the sea and the waves. They find themselves on the other side of the sea. Jesus steps out of the boat, puts his feet firmly in the province of the Gadarenes. For if you begin to realize in history that where he set his foot were the tombs of the man that was, uh, was demon-possessed with the legion, it was in Gadara, in the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes had ten provinces. Now get this. The Gadarenes had ten provinces, and in these ten provinces, for me, I didn't see it because what I had not seen before was, was as Jesus was going from a Jewish settled community across the sea into a place which was settled by Gentiles. And so whenever we begin to look at it from that perspective, when we begin to realize what was really going on in this story, the first thing that happened to Jesus, he was met with a storm. How many of you have ever been met with a storm whenever you've heard from God and you start to pursue anybody in the house? Because all of us are met with some type of buffer. We're met with some type of pushback. We're met with something that tries to discourage us or to distract us from really doing what needs to be done or what God has asked us to do or what we're called to do. And so Christ hops in the boat, met with the storm, ceases the storm, walks out of the boat, sets his feet down firmly at Gadara, and then immediately there's a man in the tombs, and his name is Legion because Jesus asked the demons what their name was, and they said, we are Legion, My, our name is Legion because we are many. And if you look at a legion, that is anywhere from two to 6,000 in a regiment of soldiers. So and the enemy is very strategic. And so we find here in the story that there's this man with basically 6,000 demons in him that comes running to Jesus, falls down at his feet, and worships him. I say that the enemy is strategic because even the demons that occupied that man, when asked name, spoke in terms of of, um, what would be the right term? Of strategic military concepts. So in other words, the enemy is scared of you because he knows who you are. And then there's something said in the story that even further blows my mind. And that is, is that the story goes on to say that the demon, as he begins to worship Jesus, says, Oh, Son of God... Jesus had not even at that point in the story ever even mentioned himself to even be the Son of God to his disciples. So there was insight even in the legion of the devils of the demonic to know who he was. And if you don't think that the demonic doesn't know who you are, And sometimes we give up too soon because there's pushback and things come against us and we fail and, and, we, and we sin. Let's just get it out there. We sin. We do things that we used to do that we've been called out of, but we go back and we do it again and we do it and then we're like, well, God, I must have, I've just blown everything out of proportion now. Now you couldn't use me and that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because he wants you, every good Christian, you look, say, I'm a Christian, say it, say it, say it, I'm, I'm a Christian, pat yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Every good Christian, I want, to, I want you to hear this, every good Christian, you must understand 
that the enemy's strategic battle against you is to get you to stop. It's to get you to halt and to get you to say things about yourself that are not true because that's not who you are. But when you fail, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you begin to say, this is now what I, God has called me to be. I am not that person. And you've got to pull yourself back up out of the ashes of those things that you've fallen into and get yourself positioned back in a way that you can do what God's called you to do. You've got to get over who you were. Turn to your neighbor and say, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Tell them again, get over yourself to the left and to the right. Get over yourself. Something about this man. The herdsmen, whenever they began to see that the swine ran down the hill and, and they drowned, they committed suicide. Something here even that I hadn't really considered before. And that is, is that the herdsmen saw all of these pigs drown. And there's something about this demoniac. There was a man with 6,000 demons in him, but the same amount of demons that were put in a herd of swine caused them to commit suicide. What's the point? Point is, 6,000 demons couldn't drive the man to suicide, but 6,000 demons immediately caused the whole herd to drown themselves. You can worship if you want to. So I got too much this. I got too much baggage. I got, I got too many memories. I got too much of this going on. I want you to know right now, there is nothing that can hold you back from worshiping God but you. There's no demon in hell. 6,000 of them couldn't keep the demoniac from worshiping. Now, what's your, what's your excuse? I'm smiling. Well, I'm tired, preacher. Well, I, I, I got up early. I want you to notice something about the man in the Gadarenes. Revi get this, get this. Revival broke out. Revival broke out because of a demon that was cast out, or 6,000 of them that were cast out. For the man said, let me go with you. And Jesus said, don't you come with me. You go back and you go into your city and you tell of everything that God has done. Now we're getting to it. Now we're starting to get to the heart of this. You ever been under attack? There's a reason for it. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a reason. Jesus went through a storm to get to the other side. Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side. Jesus was expanding his disciples' territory. He was taking ground. He was going somewhere that they had never been before. And whenever I began to realize some of these little points that I had missed earlier in reading this, I began to understand that whenever I hear Jesus say, let us pass over to the other side. Now, now hang with me, guys. Whenever Jesus says, let us pass over to the other side, I'm not sure that he was talking about geographics. I think he was probably more talking about nationalities. God forbid that we become a cross-cultural church. God forbid that people of all races come together and worship. Well, I don't believe like that. You believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the blood shed and come out of the tomb on the third day, then we got a baseline. He was born of a virgin, we got a baseline. There's a lot of things that go along with that, but we got a baseline to grow off of. 
God forbid that we start picking ourselves apart because we don't see eye to eye on communion. Well, we drink real wine. Well, we have grape juice. Well, we use the little things that peel back the cup. Well, we use the real stuff, preacher. The enemy loves to divide. He loves to divide. He loves to get a country looking at itself, saying that, that you guys got more problems than you got right answers. He loves, he loves, he loves for you to get on CNN and watch it until you're mad at everybody in the world. He loves it whenever he can distract you and keep you from your purpose and your cause and for what he's called you to do because if he can blow enough storms your way, got storms running everywhere, things going on everywhere around me, can't get anybody to do anything, wife's acting up, kids acting up, grandkids acting up, my Lord, God, if we could just get all of this in line, man, we'd have church and we'd have revival around here. If my wife would just act right, she's not here, I can talk about her, she's at conference. She'll watch it, she'll watch it, she knows I preach about her every, every week. Well, you know, I, I, I stayed up late. I stayed up too late. You know, I don't like that guy that sat by me last week. You know, man, everybody's leaving me this morning. <laughs> Billy, I'm talking about you. I'm just teasing. I'm just... But I don't want to go. I don't want to do that because there's too many differences, too much going on. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to spiritual warfare? May I introduce to you the storm that the enemy sends before the great breakthrough. May I introduce to you this morning the, the storm before God does some miraculous stuff. May I introduce to you this morning a God that's going to overcome every, every complaint that you have. A God this morning that's going to come overcome every, every habitual sin that you do every single day. He's going to help you to overcome that. I want to introduce you to a God this morning that's able to do abundantly and above anything that you may ask or think. I want to introduce you to a God this morning that loves your neighbor as much as he loves you. I want you to know this morning that this is a cross-cultural church. I want you to know this morning that God wants revival in Owensboro. I want you to know this morning that God loves this church. I want you to know this morning that God loves you and he loves every part of you and your family. You have done nothing so wrong that you cannot find God. He wants you. Spiritual warfare. I want you to know this morning the demons that you will not conquer, your children will have to conquer. That one little statement drives me to my knees oftentimes. Because I know that I've fought enough in my life that if, I have, if my children have to fight what I fight, my God, help them. But I know if I can conquer that old nasty thought, if I can conquer that old nasty habit, if I can conquer that old nasty emotion, if I can get behind or get be, be, beyond all of that stuff that I used to be and used to do, not keep regurgitating and talking about it over and over again. Because I've grown past that. I've become bigger than that. I'm not a drug addict. You're not a drug addict. You're not an alcoholic. You are not broke. You are not broke. You are everything that God called you to be. And may I say this morning that it stops now. 
It is time for you to stand up and be what God has called you to be. Because if you stop at every storm, you're never going to reach the Gadarenes. And the revival is in the Gadarenes. The revival's beyond the storm. The devil believes in you so much, he's scared of you. Scared to death of you. Because he knows that if he can keep you in the storm, he's buffeted you and held you back from truly who you are. You know, guys, I'm truly coming out of this. I'm using myself as an example this morning. I'm going to come out of this. I read a book the other day about joy. Can I be honest with you? I've been too honest in the last two weeks. Y'all going to think I'm crazy. But last week I was honest with you, and this week I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard sometimes for me to be happy sometimes because I'm too stinking serious. Now, come on. And TJ was praying the other day in staff been a month or so ago, and he said, God, just give us joy. And I said, yes. It's not that I'm not happy. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandbabies. I love all you guys who are awesome. I love that little shaper doodad you're doing. I love that. Join us in reaching others and investing today on our website or our smartphone application. And don't forget to subscribe so you can hear more messages like this one. And remember, we are here to grow the family of God.